Relax Babe is dedicated to making CBD wellness easy, delightful, and routine by harnessing the power of full-spectrum CBD into pre-dosed, delicious, third-party tested gummies. Formulated by a team of organic food experts in California, Relax Babe CBD gummies contain only six simple ingredients, including the highest quality Colorado-farmed Sativa Indica Blend Hemp to specifically address stress, sleeplessness, pain, and inflammation morning or night. Use coupon code FINDINGGENIUS for a 20% discount at checkout. Visit shoprelaxedbabe.com to shop now. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Sarah Whitley. She's a postdoctoral fellow, uh, part of the Institute for Applied Ecology at the University of Canberra in Australia. And we're going to talk about uh, her research. So, Sarah, thank you for coming. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. If you, it sounds like it involves lizards. So tell me about your, your research. Uh, yes, we use the central bearded dragon, um, which is a native Australian reptile, as a, a model species to study the ways in which the environment can interact with genes during embryonic development to determine sex. Um, so there's there's quite a lot of species around the world that have this. So it's commonly known as temperature-dependent sex determination, but there are quite a wide variety of different environmental factors so we sort of generally call it environmentally sensitive sex determination. Um, so there's some species in the U.S. that are quite commonly studied for this that you might be familiar with. The, um, the Redia slider turtle and um, the American alligator all have. What does that mean? Is it during gestation? Does the reptiles um, have eggs and then the temperature at which they incubate affects them? Or what do you mean? Yeah, exactly. So in the dragon, in the... American alligator and the radius slider, for example, they all are egg-laying species. And in the case of the turtle and the alligator, they don't have sex chromosomes. So like you and I, we have a genetic sex determination system. So I have two X chromosomes, you have an X and a Y chromosome, and there is a dominant gene on the Y chromosome called SRY. Um, and that's quite shared across mammals. And that sort of switches on at a point during embryonic development and causes males to develop kind of simply. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but essentially that's what happens. Whereas in something like the radius slider and the American alligator, they don't have any sex chromosomes at all. So once the female lays her eggs in a nest, whatever temperature the developing embryos are exposed to is what will determine whether they come out as male or female. The dragon, we have a little bit more of a complicated system. So it does actually have sex chromosomes, but it's a little bit different to ours. They're sort of evolved a bit more recently. And um, what can happen is that the genetic males, if they're incubated at sufficiently high temperatures, they will reverse their sex and then they wind up developing as females, and we call those sex-reversed females. So essentially in the species, you have three functional sexes. You have 
the normal females where they're physically female and genetically female and then the normal males which are genetically male and like phenotypically male and then the sex reversed females which have a male sex chromosome complement but actually female physically and they lay eggs and they reproduce like normal and then what happens in the next generation because when you have a sex reversed female mating with a male they share the same sex chromosomes and so the subsequent generation their sex is determined solely by incubation temperature so we can kind of take advantage of this quite interesting system in the lab we um, have a breeding colony of these guys at the university and we can control the breeding and the incubation temperatures and essentially use them as a model system to try to understand exactly how it is that something like temperature can influence the sexual trajectory of a developing embryo. Well, what happens in nature? How does nature get a 50-50 uh, distribution well, of males and females? That's the problem is that it's not always a 50-50 distribution, and particularly now with climate change, the sort of, you know, in a lot of interest in trying to figure out exactly how this works. Um, so, for example, in Australia, we have, you know, the Great Barrier Reef, and there are some big um, nesting beaches there for the green sea turtle. And so they're similar to your American alligator and radius slider in that they don't have sex chromosomes um, and temperature is determining their sex. And so now because of global warming, there is a lot of concern because these species are already endangered, right? Because of all the various things that we're doing that are putting them at risk. And then now with changing temperature, um, the sex ratios are being skewed in the population, which is a big concern. So there's all sorts of sort of interventions that people are trying out, like shading the nests or in some cases even just digging up the nests and incubating them artificially to try to control the demographic skews that are happening now because of climate change. The mothers also have some control, like they, you know, they're very selective about where they choose to lay their eggs and the depths at which they might bury them and all of that sort of stuff. But again, there's a lot of different things that we're doing that are all impacting these sorts of animals. So because of human. Well, how, do you, how do you know what what are the impacts? What's the temperature change amount? You know, what's the new skew of males to females and the animals you're studying? So in our bearded dragon, we know that there's a relatively low frequency of the sex reversed females in the wild, and they do still exist though. And it is quite tricky to study, especially in like something like a sea turtle as well, because they're endangered. Um, it's actually very hard to tell the sex of a hatchling turtle, but there are some researchers mainly based at the University of Queensland that I'm aware of that have been monitoring a particular sea turtle nesting beach. And they're seeing a lot more males coming out. Um, and then there's also other impacts, like there are fewer of these guys. What is a lot more males? What's the typical skew in the population and how much has it changed? Oh, off the top of my head, this isn't really sort of my area that I focus on, but it's because it's sort of one of many impacts in an already vulnerable population that they sort of can only take so much. And at what there's a lot of modeling done sort of at what point the population will completely collapse. But in a something like a sea turtle, the generation times are so long it sort of will be probably 
few more years before we really start to see how bad things are getting. And then in something like the Dragon, other members of our team have looked at basically modeling whether it's possible for the dragons to lose their W chromosome. So like I said before, we've got XXXY, um, and that's just kind of like a naming convention, in which case the male is what we call the heterogametic sex, which means that you've got two different sex chromosomes, whereas in the dragons, it's the opposite way, and the females are the heterogametic sex. So they have a Z and a W, and the males are ZZ. And there's certain circumstances in which that W chromosome could be lost from the population. And we sort of really have never seen this kind of thing happen before. And we don't really know the consequences of something like that happening. We also study different species of skink called Bassiana deprea. It's uh, the eastern three-lined skink and it has sex reversal but in the opposite direction. So we're currently working on those guys because a similar sort of thing. We've done some modeling that predicts that at high altitudes, they will lose their Y chromosome. So actually next week, we're heading up to Kosciuszko, which is sort of the highest mountain range in Australia, to see if we can find any skinks living up there that have lost the Y chromosome. And then we are establishing long-term monitoring. Relax, babe. Gummies are vegan, organic, all-natural, and infused with CO2-extracted hemp to provide the purest, best-tasting, highest quality CBD to support and aid your body's endocannabinoid system. Try their variety pack today and make everyday wellness within reach. They're offering our listeners a generous 20% off their first purchase. You can use coupon code FINDINGGENIUS, no spaces in it, FINDINGGENIUS, at checkout to save 20% site-wide. Just visit shoprelaxedbabe.com. Sorry? Yeah, what would happen to the population of them if that was the case in that area? Um, So basically what happens is that we believe ancestrally these sorts of animals had temperature-dependent sex determination, and then the the sex chromosomes have been more newly evolved. And so in the case of losing the Y chromosome in these skinks, you're looking at basically a sort of reversion back where they don't have as strong a sex chromosome determinant. And in different circumstances, that might not necessarily be a bad thing. But if it's driven by climate change and you end up with a species that is a lot more vulnerable to a changing climate in that if the sex of their eggs are a lot more like the, the sex of the developing embryo is a lot more contingent on the temperature at which they're being incubated at. But have you seen any of these effects or these are you know, based on model results. So you're looking to see if the effects are there. Basically. So like I said, we're establishing a long-term monitoring program in the alpine regions of Australia to use this species of skink as kind of an ecological sensor because the alpine regions in Australia are sort of, they're the sort of regions that are most affected by changes in climate And so basically, yeah, we just are at the really early stages. This is the sort of thing where hardly any research has been done on it and we know almost nothing about these systems. So the fact that even we don't know how it is that temperature is exerting all of these influences just goes to show how how much we need to be doing research in this area because there's so much, so many unanswered questions. Well, you said that the I guess one of the particular animals you're looking at is endangered. Has the population been declining faster and faster? And, you know, what are the reasons for the decline? Is it loss of habitat or do you think it's 
because of climate change? Like, what do you think is happening to them? Um, so I don't personally work on the sea turtles. I'm just aware of the research because it's sort of in a related field. And I have been contacted by some people wanting to work with me to try to figure out non-invasive methods for figuring out the sex of the hatchlings as they're coming out of the nests. But basically, it's one of those things where there's just so many different impacts coming at them from all sides. So you mentioned, you know, habitat loss, climate change, it's sort of all of the above pollution. I mean, of course, we're all familiar with those really harrowing images of, you know, straws in sea turtle noses and they eat plastic bags because mainly sea turtles eat jellyfish. You imagine you're a sea turtle just innocently swimming along a a plastic bag and the water is going to look an awful lot like a jellyfish. And obviously that is not good for them to be eating. Habitat loss, particularly in Australia, um, if you look at like where the population of Australia is distributed, it's basically on the coast. And so there's a lot of habitat loss. Um, They've done studies to show that the poor little hatchling sea turtles when they come out of the nests, they get disorientated by like artificial lighting from all of the coastal settlements and they can end up wandering off in the complete wrong direction because it's thought that they often hatch at night and they probably use like the moon and then with the artificial lighting they all those kind of cues are all messed up and then you have the baby sea turtles like going in the wrong direction from the ocean stuff like that so it's just there's so many things it's all of it together you know it's not one particular thing but what about, you said the bearded dragons, I guess you have more of a handle on. Yeah. So what are you seeing as what's affecting them that you actually see out in the field? So the bearded dragons luckily are a lot more common, which is also part of the reason why we study them, because we can go out into the field, grab a bunch of dragons, bring them back into our colony. Um, and then they're also really easy to keep in the captivity. So I am much more of a lab person. I do all of the lab work, but we did have some PhD students do work out in the field And I think you'll be able to find the footage online if you're interested in looking at it, but it's quite sad. Um, So there was two PhD students out at a field site we have in Western Queensland, and they were tracking the bearded dragons. Um, So they made these very adorable little jackets, basically, that they would fit onto the dragons with tracking devices. And they were tracking them around and they had been tracking this gravid female. So that means she's she was getting ready to lay her eggs and they had a camera trap around the region where it looked like she was going to nest and they caught a feral cat. So um, in Australia, we have a pretty big problem with a lot of different feral animals, feral cats and feral foxes being particularly bad. Um, and so this feral cat comes along, kills the gravid female dragon, and then just leaves her body there. So this one cat killed the dragon plus all of the future dragons that she was carrying. So we definitely see predation from feral animals and basically something like a dragon out in that part of the country. That's sort of a prey item for a lot of different creatures, but really they're not being monitored like how the sea turtles are in terms of, as far as we know, they're not, you know, they're sort of having a hard time. It's a pretty tough climate to survive in. But no one's really monitoring, like, the population sizes over time. So I couldn't really say if okay. they're declining or, or not, basically. Oh, right, I understand. With some uh, 
future experimentation that you're working on to determine, uh, you know, what's happening with climate change in these animals? Yeah, so basically, as I said before, we use the dragon as our model system to actually understand at like the cellular level how it is that cells in a developing embryo can sense an external cue and capture that signal. And it ultimately winds up changing levels of gene expression and so on to actually cause them to sex reverse or in the case of other species cause them to develop as like either male or female so we just received a nice grant from the arc which is like a big government scientific research funding body that we have in australia and so that i've just finished up my phd on the dragons and then now we've got this nice grant and so i'll be working as a postdoctoral research fellow on the grant. And so what we're looking at doing, I developed some new techniques during my PhD that are going to allow us to get a much better handle on what exactly it is that's going on. And part of that involves being able to manipulate some of the pathways that we think are involved in this process. And so I developed organ culture system so basically I can explant the developing it's called a urogenital system in an embryo so we have this kind of thing as well basically in a developing embryo there's the kidney and the gonad develop in really close proximity to one another as part of this whole urogenital system Um, and the gonad is a really cool organ because it's the only thing that has the potential to go down of one of two completely different trajectories. But before it makes the decision to go down either the male or the female pathway, it's what we call bipotential, and it has the capacity to be either male or female. So what I do is I explant that system out of the developing embryo and I can grow it in a dish. Basically, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but basically I grow it in a dish and I can use a variety of techniques to try to manipulate whether it's going to become male or female. So fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your perspective, a lot of pathways that we think are really important are also involved in human cancer. So there's a lot of drugs that have been developed for human cancer treatments or other diseases that are available for really, really specific targets. So I've done some experiments kind of taking advantage of that where I can buy these inhibitor drugs, apply them in my organ culture system and see how it's affected the outcome as to whether I've managed to stop them from sex reversing when they would otherwise sex reverse or cause them to sex reverse when they otherwise wouldn't sex reverse as a way of really being able to prove for sure, like, yes, this pathway was involved in the whole process. And it's kind of, you start building up a picture of how all of this is working in the cells of a developing embryo. Uh, but what's the problem with sex reversal? What happens to those, those creatures that undergo that? Can they reproduce or what happens to them? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we actually have data to suggest that they're potentially even more fertile than the normal females. Um, So they really are kind of like a third sex in the dragon. So they have slightly different behaviours as well, and they are suddenly fecund. Um, So we have a large population in the breeding colony that we have at the university. So we we have no problem breeding these guys. Um, They're like, you would never know to look at them that there was anything different about them. If they're more fertile, maybe it's a good thing to push them in that direction. I mean, what other differences are there 
in the offspring from sex reversed with normal male versus non-sex reversed? Uh, yeah, so that's not the focus of my research, but we did have some PhD students in the lab trying to look at sort of the fitness differences between the offspring of the different females and then they themselves, if there was fitness differences between if you were sex reversed or normal male or female. So it looks like there are, there are differences with behavior. So it can be a trade-off. It looks like the sex reversed females are a lot more bold and aggressive which in some circumstances can be good, but generally, like say out in the wild, it usually means that they're more prone to predation. And then we had a PhD student looking at like the metabolism of the three different sexes, because there's some previous research sort of showing that incubation temperatures can actually have pretty significant lifelong effects. And to produce sex reversed females, they do get they have to be exposed to like pretty high temperatures for it to happen. Um, but really, we're just sort of starting that research and we don't know too much about what it is, like how, how many differences there really are between the three sexes. For me, I've just been focusing at the genetic level. So I know that during embryonic development, even though the sex reversed females and the normal females, they ultimately wind up being female and they can reproduce and all the rest of it. But the actual genetic pathways that underpin the process of them becoming female are very different, which is really interesting. And so I was, I published that work last year. So essentially when you think about it, the sex reverse females, they have male sex chromosomes. So it's quite a different process for them to wind up being female. But that was like a really interesting study that I was able to do, highlighting the differences between the two different female pathways. And then I've also done other work that's not published yet, but hopefully it'll be published soon, where I did a temperature switching experiment basically to see the various thresholds that are involved in being able to initiate and maintain sex reversal. And what I found is that essentially it's quite difficult to actually produce the sex reversal. And there's a lot of individual variation in embryos from even the same clutch of eggs. So this kind of has implications for wild populations as well. And this is something I'm interested in trying to drill down into further is that there are differences in the sensitivity thresholds between individuals to the temperature cue. And so that can be mechanisms for like wild populations by which you don't end up having like sex reversals, say like completely dominating in the population because some animals are completely insensitive to the temperature cue. And I'm currently trying to breed a particular line of animals in the colony that are resistant to the sex reversal cue. So I can try to figure out what it is about them that is different to the ones that do sex reverse. And there's like the key difference between those will really help us to understand the mechanisms by which they're sensing temperature, because obviously some of them can sense it and change and some of them can sense it, but then don't change. I understand. So what's the, uh, now that you have this new grant, I mean, how can people find out more about your work and what's the the near term future of it? What are you going to be looking at? Uh, Yeah, so the grant is because it's publicly funded, you're able to look on the website for the ARC, the Australian Research Council, and there's a list of all of the grant recipients and we are on there. My PI, Principal Investigator, is Distinguished Professor Arthur Georges. So he 
is leading the grant and um, he's been working in this area for, gosh, a long time, at least 10 years. Um, Obviously, his research career spans a lot further than that as well. So with this new grant, it was really specifically focusing on the epigenetics of the sex reversal process. Um, So what epigenetics is, it literally means above the gene. So we have all of these mechanisms as well, like every organism does. And it's ways in which the environment can influence how your genes are regulated. And there's sort of a whole bunch of different ways in which that this can happen and different cues that it's sensitive to and so on. So we're going to be specifically drilling down into what we've been able to establish as being the best candidate genes and pathways for regulating sex reversal and we also do like cross-species comparisons so it's one thing to understand how all of this is working in the dragon in a group of animals as diverse as reptiles and a lot of fish have these sorts of things as well you need to kind of keep a phylogenetic perspective and I'm always really interested in comparing with other species to see what is shared and what is different because each lineage has gone down its own unique evolutionary trajectory. But what we've seen so far is that there is a high degree of conservation between the different genes and pathways that we always see implicated. And sort of the foundation of where we are now and a big part of the grant that we ended up getting was some work that me and a fellow PhD student, Megan Costelli, published in Biological Reviews. So that paper was really important because we essentially devised a new model for how it is that an environmental cue, any environmental cue can be sensed by a cell and transduced into um, genetic changes. And what that comes down to is signaling biochemical signaling molecules that every organism has from us to the dragons to plants and fish and everything in between that are able to respond to temperature and they are sort of like the direct most immediate link between the outside and the inside of the cell to think of it like that Um, so that sort of forms the basis of everything and so I'm running a bunch of experiments essentially looking at that biochemical process and all of the different genetic cascades that it can then kick off downstream to influence whether the embryo will develop as male or female. Very good. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. And again, what's one URL or place where someone can go to find out everything that's going on with your work? Oh, sure. Um, So my supervisor has a website, That's georges.biomatrix.com. Otherwise, you can always just like search my name and um, I have a Google Scholar profile and a ResearchGate profile basically lists all of my publications and you're able to peruse those if they're of interest. And my supervisor and his website has like a blog where he writes up little, I guess, maybe easier to understand articles blog posts that accompany a publication that has just come out from our team. Well, very good. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Remember, before you go, adding relaxed babe gummies to your daily routine is an amazing way to support your everyday wellness. Get your CBD products from a company who's passionate about making CBD wellness simple, delicious, and routine so you don't have to worry about anything. Relax Babe is giving our listeners 20% off their first purchase. 
Use coupon code FINDINGGENIUS with no space, FINDINGGENIUS, at checkout, and you'll save 20% site-wide. Visit shoprelaxbabe.com. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.